Welcome to Engineering Change, the podcast designed to help redefine the engineering education experience by re-imaging who we see as engineers and what we see as engineering, de-siloing academic programs and problem solving, and fine-tuning academic culture and climate so people from all backgrounds and identities can succeed. Each episode will leave you with strategies to put into practice wherever you are in the process of engineering change. And now here's your host, Dr. Yvette E. Pearson. Welcome, everybody, and thank you for joining us. This is Engineering Change, the podcast where we're providing a unique take on overcoming barriers to inclusion in engineering education. It's hard to believe we are at the end of season two, and this will be our last episode until we kick off season three in May, when we'll also be celebrating one year of engineering change, and I hope you'll be there with us. Be sure to stay connected in the meantime by sending us your comments, questions, and guest recommendations on our website, engineeringchangepodcast.com, or by phone or text to 737-CHANGE-1. That's 737-242-6431. So for now, let's get into episode 19. When we're scheduling podcast interviews, we log in at a certain time for a certain amount of time and without fail, the conversation gets so interesting that it's over before we know it. As the saying goes, time flies when you're having fun. The awesome thing is that our guests don't seem to mind and we end up with a little extra that we can use for other episodes. In Southeast Louisiana, where I'm from, we call that lanyap. I'll show you how to spell it later or better yet, just look on the show notes. It's there. Episode 18 is an example of one of those. And today's episode is another. One of the topics that came up during episode 12 with the group from Black and Engineering was the disparities that we see in outcomes for faculty of color and faculty from minority serving institutions when pursuing research funding. Our guests shared great insights from lessons they've learned along the way. So if you're trying to figure out how to navigate the landscape of research funding and publications, I guarantee you'll get some nuggets here that will help you on your journey. I invite you to grab a latte and listen as we dive into engineering change with a Lanyap episode with Dr. Kalata Berry, Dr. Audrey Bowden, and Dr. Cullen Bowie from blackandengineering.org. My biggest piece of advice is that seeing examples of successful proposals so that you really know how the process works is invaluable. And that, that can often be a challenge for young faculty, especially young faculty of color. We don't have the appropriate mentorship networks. We weren't brought into the fold. I remember in my first institution, um, one of my colleagues came up to me and said, oh, has anyone uh, helped write you into their grants yet? Because, you know, that was how I got all my first funding. And, uh, and I said no. And then they walked away and I never got written into anybody's grant. And I was thinking... <laughs> You know, what, what was that? What was that about? Um, and so, I mean, I think there is there is a process 
and being able to see examples is important. So I, I think one of the valuable things about having a network, the broader network outside of your institution, and we talked about community building efforts necessary in the, the call to action document, is because you need people who have funding uh, to help show you how to get funding. Um, you need people who have funding to help introduce you to the people, um, you know, who work at those programming, you know, work at those agencies and institutes who can tell you how it is at that, in at that institute and kind of what the process is and show you examples. And um, you know what, uh, you know, and I've never tried this myself, but just a piece of empowering knowledge for you, Freedom of Information Act. If you can't get an example, you have a legal right to request it. So, um, you know, I've never foia anything, but it's, it's possible. Um, and I think it's important that you do have those examples because they really do give you a sense of the tone, the style, the format. And, you know, unfortunately, a lot of these decisions about funding aren't just made by people um, at the institutes and agencies. They're made by reviewers, peer reviewers. So other faculty colleagues, they're used to seeing things a certain way. And so you kind of got to learn how to play into what they're used to seeing um, in order to help, you know, them see that your work uh, merits funding. So that's my advice. I was going to say, I got two NSF grants at my school before I got tenure. And what was most invaluable to me was serving as a reviewer because there weren't a lot of people with grants at my school. So when me and a colleague got a $600,000 grant, it was like a big deal. But if I had never gone out to Washington and served on a review panel, just like Arthur said, I didn't know you could request other people send you a copy of their proposal and they were obligated to do that. I learned that at a review panel. Um, and then sitting in that panel and listening to some of the things people discuss, including the helpful and the petty, it really helped me to revise my proposal so the next time I submitted it, it got funded. So I do think that's important. Unfortunately, once again, the invisible labor, there's so few of us after a while, I had to start turning them down because then I started getting an email every week from NSF to serve on a review panel. But I think when you first are a new assistant professor, it's extremely important to get on at least a couple with some of the directorates or divisions you're interested in submitting to. Yeah, Audrey, we need to pull on that thread that you talked about because I, I have the exact same story. I was at a conference once and a colleague of mine from Georgia Tech said, hey, this is early in my career. Hey, are you on any 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 collaborative proposals with senior faculty? And I said, no. He was like, oh, that's interesting because at my institution, it's it's pretty standard junior faculty come in and we and they get written into a big center or a big grant. And then I had another colleague at another conference say the exact same thing. And it started. So now I'm starting to get a, a bit curious. Then you fast forward a year or two, my, there was a new dean of the School of Engineering, and I went to meet with him, went to meet with him, this is maybe my fourth or fifth year, and he asked me the exact same question. Like up to that point, I thought, oh, well, maybe this is just, isn't something that happens at MIT. And he was like, oh, he asked me, and he was like, oh, or have you been pulled into any large grants, like at, you know, in your department or by other colleagues? And I was like, uh, no. He was like, oh, that's interesting, because in Astro, we usually blah, 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 blah. And I'm thinking like, okay, this is now three people that have told me this. And basically what I've come to realize is that the conventional wisdom that people say is that, well, you need to stand on your own. You need to write your own grants. And that's how you get started. And it is not what they actually do. All the well-funded people I actually know had faculty who were famous with high reputation um, groups take them under their wing and get them their first few grants, 
which build up their CV and build up the size of their group and build up their publication record so that then they could write their independent grants and sort of stand on their own later. My, my advice to, to junior faculty is it's not a meritocracy. So stop running around thinking it is because it ain't. If you think it's a meritocracy, you're going to be the only one who doesn't survive. Everyone else is networking. Like what Carlotta talked about in going and getting your, you know, being on a review panel, that's networking. Being on a, on a grant with a senior faculty member is networking. And of course, being black, the problem is we have fewer people to network with. I have a, a dream one day. I want to like write a proposal to like DARPA or somebody for like a, like a big center and like have all the PIs be black, but like not say anything. Like not say anything about how we're black and then just show up and just be like eight black people on one <laughs> on one on one big grant. There are all these informal networks in academia. And whenever you have informal networks and word of mouth, it is inherently going to be biased towards those who are underrepresented. So it's one of those things where you you might look at it on the surface and say, well, it's not nothing is racist in our policy. And you're right. But the fact is, like the outcome is racist. So it's like you have to look at the system. Right. So one more one more analogy here. So we're, we're engineers. How do I compare two engines? Right. Like one way I compare two engines, I put gasoline in them and then I look at the efficiency on the other side. It doesn't matter what I believe about the engine. If its efficiency is low, it's a low efficiency engine. Right? It's got the same gasoline coming in. It's a low efficiency engine. If you look at your system and the output is racist, it doesn't matter what you say about the system. It doesn't matter that you say, well, we don't have any explicitly racist policies. But if the output is racist, the system is racist. We need to look at the system. And if you look at things like funding and tenure, there are all these places where you see it's clear academia is racist. This is one of those things. This is one of those things, funding. We call it a meritocracy and it's all about who you know. And when you're black, you have to be exceptionally high on the EQ level to figure out how to navigate compared to your colleagues, because you have to figure out how to come overcome all these cultural and other barriers just to like get people to play in the sandbox with you. So one other thing I want to add to that, one other vision we have for Black and engineering, and I've really, really been pushing this on Twitter, similar to what Colin just said, I want us to be able to be on each other's papers, find peers and collaborators beyond your university. So when you have those colleagues walking up to you going, huh, nobody's put you on their grant and walk away, you're like, okay, let me go find somebody in my network that I met on Twitter, Instagram, or at the ARL network or Black engineering or Black and computing in order to give me that. You know what I mean? I, I started my career at Southern, which is a predominantly undergraduate institution. And so the, the research piece wasn't re really heavily emphasized, but I did pursue funding, but it was mostly because I was pursuing funding, funding to support my students and really pursuing my passion. And that's kind of how I got into it. And I went to an NSF sponsored workshop that was talking about how to develop proposals to um, and one of the older programs has been a long time. But anyway, I went to that workshop and ended up leaving that workshop and going to write a proposal to an entirely different program. But I basically adapted the knowledge I had gained from that workshop to this particular program and wrote my first NSF proposal, half a million dollars, and it was successful. But I also, even though nobody had really told me, I guess I just had the inkling to include people on my team that would give it the street cred with this being my first proposal. 
And I think that's a big barrier to some people. I know when I was a program officer at NSF, I, I remember a panel where there was one panelist who was constantly giving people a weakness because they were a new PI. And I finally had to stop and say, why, why is this a weakness? Well, they haven't had funding. I was like, did you ever get your first grant? You know, so don't count it as a weakness. As a program officer, yeah, let me know that, hey, you flagged this because it's a new PI. That lets me know I might need to be a little bit more hands-on if this person is awarded in terms of mentoring through this whole process. But it's not a weakness to go after, after your first funding. And I think a lot of it is about the people that you build around you. No, but yeah, that's what I was saying is I just really want Black and engineering to be that resource of those unwritten rules that we just don't know about and we don't hear about. Because the one I heard about a lot when I was a junior faculty member was, you know, they put each other's names on their papers. So if you have any fringe research related to them, they'll make them the second or third author just to get their publication numbers up. I'm like, really? People do that? Because I'm over here killing myself writing all these papers, first author by myself from scratch and all of that. And I want us to be that network that shares those gems with the junior faculty who don't know about that. And even more importantly, if I'm doing robotics work and you're doing robotics work and we're at two different schools, let's honestly write papers together. Let's honestly publish together because they're all doing it. So we're smaller in number, but if we all know where we each other are within five or six degrees of freedom, we know everybody's research. Why can't we do the same thing? Why can't we community build? And I just think Twitter is a greater resource for that because via email, we don't even know where everybody is and what school they're at, but we've probably met more people on Twitter in the past week that we didn't know existed that we could have just by talking to each other via email. Yeah, I got to be strategic. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you guys so much. Bye-bye. See you later. Thank you for having us. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to visit our website, engineeringchangepodcast.com to connect with the people and resources we mentioned on the show. You can also leave a message on our contact page if you have an idea for an episode, or if you have a question, ask, and we'll be sure to get it answered for you on a future episode. Thank you again for listening. I'm glad you're here and I'm looking forward to engineering change with you. Thank you for listening to Engineering Change. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast wherever you're listening. Until next time, remember, the best way to change engineering is by engineering change. 